Well, hello, folks, and welcome to the On Being Christian podcast, podcast number 50. Podcast number 50, and just like that, we are 50 podcasts in. I've enjoyed these opportunities. The On Christian podcast is a ministry of Wasatch Front Baptist Church. My name's Nolan Ruby. I'll be your host. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. You can get a hold of us here at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, frontbaptistchurch.com. Or you can call me directly to the office here at the church on the number listed on that website. In the drop-down menu, just click the link that says Contact Us. Podcast number 50. I'm excited about this. The Lord's allowed for this to be a pretty productive platform. I've heard um, some things concerning how helpful it has been uh, across some some different ministries. And there's people listening throughout the country. There's also people listening in different places around the mission field in foreign countries. And so it is a privilege to have this available and uh, to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ um, I hope that it's helpful. My prayer certainly is that it is helpful. And so with that said, I'd like to do something, uh, I'd say special, but it's just what we do every time on this podcast. It's open up the Word of God and look at a thought from the Word of God that would help us better be a Christian. That was the intent of this podcast, was to move the term Christian away from being a noun Um, that I use to describe myself subjectively, or in other words, apart from the Word of God, and move it back into the realm of a verb. In other words, it's something that I do. It's something that I live. It's a title that I carry because that's the title given to me uh, by my actions, not by the fact that I have simply chosen it. Anyway, we're going to be in John chapter 8, and this is a fairly well-known section of Scripture. We're going to look at the first 11 verses, and then I've got some thoughts that we'll take a look at from those 11 verses and see what we might learn. John chapter 8, let's read those first 11 verses. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst... They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. That's interesting that they found her in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone, or cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they, which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, and that's actually the title of this podcast here, The Convicted Conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. 
And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I'd like to talk to you uh, about the convicted conscience and what that is a result of, and then perhaps um, maybe some aspects uh, of truth concerning this section of Scripture that you've not quite heard of before. Without really needing to go into an introduction, let's just begin by kind of quoting the first point and then looking at what the Bible's trying to teach us with respect to this story. The first point here concerning the convicted conscience is the spiritual blindness which is the result of focusing on others. The spiritual blindness, which is the result of focusing on others. In verse 3, that you see the phrase, they brought a woman taken in adultery. In fact, the, the Bible says that they took her in the very act in verse 4. And so they're, they, they're very consumed with the actions of this woman. They're not really paying much attention to their own actions, which, by the way, might have not been as pure as they would like for us to think that they were, given the fact that we understand that they knew exactly where to find her while she was committing such an act. It wasn't like they didn't know where she was. And verse 5 says, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And it says in verse 6 that they phrased it this way specifically to tempt him because what they wanted to do was accuse him. So you find this group of people coming to Jesus Christ with a very specific agenda. It's not about the woman. It's not about the adultery that the woman's committing. It's not even about the message of Jesus Christ. They are saying this and doing this in a very specific way to try to trap Jesus Christ so that he either has to, he either has to bow down and uh, kind of go along with the law of Moses, or he has to go against the law of Moses, and they can accuse him of then being a sinner. They're trying to figure out some reason to dismiss his authority. Look at how callous the actions of the Pharisees are toward the woman in all of this. They displayed her out in front of everybody and took her in the act. It sounds like a form of entrapment. It was all done not for justice, but rather for the purpose of tempting Christ. What you do should come second to how you do it. But that's a sermon for another time. So I want you to notice what they're doing to this this woman. Okay, they're they're so focused on trying to nail Christ that they're completely blind to not only their own spiritual need for Christ, but they're blind to the damage that they're causing on this young woman. Displaying her and saying all manner of lewd things about her, whether they are true or not, isn't really the point here, is it? The fact is that they are showing her for what she is in a very public setting and using her almost like an object lesson with no regard to how this might be affecting her own soul and her own mindset. It's a horrible story. Using a woman like this to try to get to somebody else, just total, completely blind to their own need for Christ. 
Now, there are some instances in the Bible which show us similar stories. If we go over to Mark chapter 12, you see the Pharisees constantly trying to do this to Jesus. They're constantly trying to set him up and trap him so that they might have something to accuse him of. In Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, I'll read down through verse 17, the Bible says, and they send, excuse me, and they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. Same type of idea as we read over in John chapter 8, where they were trying to um, catch him, so they might have to accuse him. They're doing the same thing here. They're trying to catch him in his words. Verse 14 of Mark chapter 12, and when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachers, or excuse me, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? So they, they worded it in this very specific way to try to get him to go against God or go against the law, and only one or the other were the choices that he had to make. Verse 15, shall we give or shall we not give? But he, talking about Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, whose is this image and subscription or superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And so he's holding this piece of money, and he said, whose is this image on this piece of money? And they, they said, well, it's Caesar's. It's Caesar's image. Still thinking that they're going to have um, words to trap him by. Verse 17, and Jesus answered and said unto them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. <laughs> so this is something that's been going on for some time. They've been they've been trying to trap Jesus, try to get him to go against Christ, or go against God, excuse me, or go against the law, one or the other, so they could dismiss his authority. And every time that this happens, Jesus Christ is just always a couple steps in front of them. Never quite figures out that uh, or they don't ever seem to quite figure out that this is not a, a particular uh, method or approach that's really going to work with Christ, trying to outmaneuver him with words or concepts or thoughts. But nevertheless, here in John chapter 8, they're trying to do it again, but they're using a woman to do it. Can you imagine being this poor woman? Can you imagine in an incredibly vulnerable time, being brought and splayed out in front of an entire group and being used as a way in which to catch Christ. Can you imagine being her in this? How painful and embarrassing that must have been. You see, I want you to understand when you are so focused on others, you really have a hard time focusing on what the Lord would like from you. When you're so focused on being the enforcer or so focused on you and your way being right or just stuck in, well, that's how we do it here. I, that is a phrase, if I hear one more time, well, that's how we do it. 
Listen, when how you do it is not how the Bible does it, you're doing it wrong. Pretty simple there, one would think. Nevertheless, talking about the convicted conscience here, the spiritual blindness, which is the result of focusing on others, causes you to do all kinds of horrible things, not just to in situations like where you're trying to catch Christ with the penny, but in this situation where you're trying to use words and the manipulation and embarrassment and further abuse of a woman, all for the purpose of just trying to catch Christ. I want you to notice what Jesus did. Now, here's the part of the message that I think you probably have heard something about. I have heard preachers say, the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is I'm going to go ask Jesus what he wrote on the ground. Hmm. Folks, I want you to understand what Jesus did next had nothing to do with what he was actually doing. I'm going to explain that to you. In chapter 8, in verse 6, after these Pharisees who had been trying to catch Jesus in his words, that they might have something to accuse him with, they're abusing this woman further than what she's already, I'm sure, accustomed to, all out of hatred for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, in chapter 8 of John, in verse 6, this they did, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. This is an incredibly, I love this. As soon as you read that, what are you thinking? You're thinking, I'm, I'm sure, what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people that were part of that event were thinking. You're thinking, what in the world is he doing? What is he writing? Did he hear us? Who does he think he is to ignore us? Does he know who we are? Hey, can you see what he's writing? As they're talking to their friends, try to get an angle. See what he's writing. He's, he's, he's writing something in the dirt there with his, with his finger. He's, he's tracing something in the dirt there on the ground. What is he doing? And this has been something that has absolutely captured the imaginations of people over thousands of years. What was he doing? What was he writing? And they get so lost in it. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter at all what he was writing. That's not what he was doing. You know what he was doing? He was taking the focus off the woman. Imagine, if you will, all of these people focused in on this poor woman being subjected by these men to try to get Christ. They thrust her, the Bible says, in the midst of them, pointed at her objectifying her. And what did Jesus do? He took the focus off of her. He took the focus off of her and he put it on himself. I want you to understand that this is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. If you've accepted Christ as your savior on the cross, he took the sin off of you and he put it on himself. He took the payment of our sin off of us, and he placed it upon himself. He did the same thing here for this woman, embarrassed, objectified, further hurting. And he did something that took all the focus off of her and put it all on him. This is something known as space for repentance. 
You say, what did he write? But that does not matter as much as what your focus is on. Your focus is now on him. And that's what he was doing. That's what matters. It's not on the woman anymore. It's on him. I want you to understand the wrath of God will fall on sin. But Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he took that focus off of you and he put it on him. He put it on him so that you could have life and life everlasting, the Bible says. And so the first point, I want you to understand the spiritual blindness, which is a result of focusing on others. When I'm so focused on trying to get Christ, when I'm so focused on trying to get justice for what others are doing that I have defined through some misguided sense of justice is wrong, I fail to see that Christ came to save sinners. And in the words of Paul, of whom I am chief. When I focus on the sins of others and what I think others should be doing, I so often miss what Christ would like to do for me. The one person in this entire event that Jesus Christ took the focus off of was the one person that everybody else was trying to put the focus on. He took it off of her and he put it on himself. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's look at the second point. The spiritual sight available, which is the result of focusing on self. So I understand, number one, the spiritual blindness, which is the result of focusing on others. Now let's look at the second point, the spiritual sight available, which is the result of focusing on self. John chapter 8, 7 through 8, the Bible says here, so when they continued asking him, so As if he heard them not is how verse 6 ended. So what did they do? They continued asking him. They continued asking him. He lifted up himself and he said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. What did he just do? He first took the focus off of the woman and put it on himself. And they, they didn't let up. They said, listen, did you hear us? We are talking to you. They continued to press him with the same question that they had themselves thought was going to give them some sense of victory. And he stood up and he looked at them and he said, all right, let's, let's get real then. You want to get real? Let's get real. Whichever one of you is without sin, you throw the first stone. And then he after putting the focus directly on every single individual in that group, stooped back down, wrote on the ground. I want you to see here, Christ went after the sin, not the sinner. He didn't go after the sinner like these people were doing. He went after the sin. In fact, even when he told the people, when he backed all those people off, he did it by going after their sin not them as sinners. This is why I have said several times to people, and I I remember saying this to one fellow, and he took exception with it, and that's okay. Christ came to save sinners. Sinners cannot be, excuse me, sin cannot be forgiven. Sinners can. Sinners can be forgiven, but the sin has to be paid for. And how does God do that? He puts it on himself. And he paid for it by the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ paid for what we ourselves cannot pay for. 
Sin must be paid for. It can't be forgiven. The sinner, the bearer of the sin, can be forgiven. And that's what we're going to see here happen in just a minute. Jesus Christ is going to forgive a sinner. It's a beautiful story. Takes the focus off of her by putting it on himself. And then he causes every single other person there to focus on their own selves and then continues with taking the focus off of her and putting it back on to his own self. Incredible story. If we jump over to Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy, excuse me, Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 7. The Bible says here, the hands of the witness shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people, so thou shalt put the evil away from among you. I want you to notice what Jesus Christ did here. In keeping with the law that these people said that they were trying to enforce, he did something they did not see coming. The idea here being that if we are going to start killing people, we will need to have a perfect witness to go first. There was not only not a perfect witness available, but all the available witnesses in this instance just witnessed the woman's sin, but also they witnessed each other's sin. Jesus Christ, when he said in, uh, in verse 8, he, or excuse me, verse 7, he said, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. They very well knew throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ, up to this point, Jesus Christ was saying, I am the one who the law and the prophets said was coming. I am the only begotten son of God, born of a, a woman, excuse me, born of a virgin, born outside the bloodline of man. I am perfect without sin, sustaining my perfection by the power of God in me, not staying my own will, but speaking the will of God. That's what Jesus Christ's ministry was. And so when he said, whoever's without sin, let them cast the first stone, he very well knew that he was saying, all right, I'll go first. And then instead of throwing a stone, he stooped back down and wrote on the ground. Isn't that so beautiful? He has the right. Jesus Christ had the right as the perfect witness to cast the first stone at the sinner. And instead of casting the stone at her, he took the focus of her sin off of her and he put it on himself. And then he suggested delicately but very effectually that every single other person that brought this whole thing to pass should do the same thing. The perfect witness. What a beautiful picture. Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's go over there and see what the Bible says about man. Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest dost the same things. Jesus Christ was in, was in effect saying this exact thing to all these people. He says, you're inexcusable. You yourself have done the things that you're judging her for. 
thus condemning yourself. And the one who has the right to judge you all isn't going to judge you. The Bible says later that Jesus Christ in his ministry said, I came not to judge, the word will judge you. I came to save. That doesn't mean that he won't judge in the future. That means at this point in our life, Jesus Christ came to save the world of sin by paying the price for sin. If I reject him, then I'll face the judgment. But right now I have what's called space for repentance. Praise the Lord. I have space to know who is worthy and who is not, to fall on my face before God and ask him to forgive me. And that is the spiritual sight available when I, when I, when I focus on myself. When I spend my entire life trying to catch other people doing things they shouldn't be doing as according to me, when I'm the judge, I walk through life quite blind at the value of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says this, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That's two verses, Romans 2, 1 and Romans 1, 20, that both say, I am without excuse, and the only way for me to be excused is, is for me and my sin debt to be paid for. I must focus on myself, my need for Christ, and fall on the grace of God by repentance and faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that I, too, may be forgiven because of the fact that Jesus Christ himself paid for my sin. He, uh, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 5, the Bible says here, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye met, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye, thou hypocrite. First, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Interesting. They were so concerned about her misdeeds that they further wounded and objectified her, trying to prove it. Trying to trick Christ into a place where his wording would catch him so they could accuse him. And exactly the opposite happened. Christ turned the entire thing around and put it right on their own heads and said, men, you're without excuse. What will you do? What will you do? If we go back to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, 41 through 42. The Bible says in Luke 6, 41 and through 42, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, 
Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. The focus of the Christian life should be on your own walk with Christ. Not with, I see this from the pulpit so many times. You, you have a message. <clears throat> the Lord gives you a message. And it's for the church that you're preaching to. And, and I'm talking in first-person reference as a pastor would talk here. Excuse that. And I watch people sit in the, in the auditorium, and you can see them realizing or are hoping that somebody else is listening. You can see it all over them. They're, they're glancing across the auditorium, looking at the other person like, hey, idiot, this message is for you. I hope you're listening. And I'm thinking to myself, you're blind. You're so focused on the other person. Christ didn't bring you to church to be focused on the sins of other people. And Christ didn't save you so that you could go around focusing all the sins of all the world like a magnifying glass back into the face of the sinners. Christ saved you so that you could have a relationship with him. It's personal. I'm blind when I'm focused on so many other things. But when I let the light of the glorious gospel shine upon my own heart, then I can, with a broken and contrite heart, go before God, and with clarity of vision, I can find faith and mercy, and I can repent. <clears throat> the Bible says mercy in time of need. Beautiful story. You will never see anything with clarity outside of looking at yourself through the light of Jesus Christ. That is all the clarity that can possibly be available to you. The spiritual sight available through Jesus Christ starts with a clear focus on self through Christ, not focus on others through yourself. Let's go back to our text, John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we'll look at the third and final point here. So the first point of the convicted conscience is the spiritual blindness, which is the result of focusing on others. The second point is the spiritual sight available, um, which is available, excuse me, as a result of focusing on self. And the third and final point is the spiritual forgiveness, which is available by focusing on Christ. The spiritual forgiveness, which is available by focusing on Christ. John chapter 8, 9 through 11, the Bible says here, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What started this spiritual forgiveness, which is available by focusing on Christ? Well, they were all convicted by their own conscience. And as a result of that conviction, they went out 
one by one. Verse 9 says, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. You see, they started with the one in their own culture who would be most worthy. That was Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God. And he didn't throw a stone. He knelt back down and wrote on the ground, taking all the focus off the woman and putting it on himself. And then from the oldest, in other words, from the next, quote-unquote, most worthy, all the way down to the least worthy, when they got a very real picture that Jesus Christ wasn't going to judge her, they one by one by one left. Picture the woman for a minute, if you would. When this started, she was almost surely going to die. She was going to die at the hands of a mob, having been thoroughly embarrassed and objectified further than what her uh, horrible choices had already done to her. And in moments, in mere moments at the end of this interaction, not only was she not dead, but she was forgiven, alone with Christ. What a beautiful picture. Beginning at the eldest, it says in verse 9, they walked out one by one. Verse 10, look at what Jesus says to her. He says, where are, where are those thine accusers? <laughs> Where'd they go? What's going on? She said, I, I, don't, I don't have any. Lord, no man. They're, they're gone. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He said, I don't, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. You know what gave Jesus Christ the power to forgive her? In, just a, in fact, if I look at the timeline right, it's about two years from now, about a year and a half from this story, he'll be crucified. He'll be murdered. And he'll pay for sin. And that is what's giving him the right to forgive her. He took her payment and he put it upon himself. He said, I'm not going to condemn you. Condemn means to judge, to, to, to write a sentence against. Jesus had the right, as the perfect son of God, to judge and condemn her. But that is not why he came. Let's look at some of the Bible that tells us this specifically. John chapter 3 and verse 17. John chapter 3 and verse 17. The Bible says here, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. <clears throat> That's why Jesus Christ came, that the world through his actions might be saved. If I go to John chapter 5, 39 through 47, John 5, starting in verse 39, the Bible says here, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. Scary phrase. I am come in my Father's name, 
and ye receive me not, for another's shall come in my name, him will ye receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? He said the word Moses, the, mo- the when the Bible says Moses in that reference, it's talking about the law and the prophets. They have Moses and the law and the prophets, the writings of the prophets. He says, if you don't believe them, they will be the very things that judge you. If you don't believe the word of God, the word of God will be the very thing that judges you. But Jesus Christ said, I'm not here to do that. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to forgive you. I'm here to save you. That's why I came. The spiritual forgiveness, which is available by focusing on Jesus Christ. If I jump back to John chapter 3, we read verse 17. Now let's read John chapter 3, verse 18. The Bible says here, He that believeth on me is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten of the Son of God. Christ didn't come to condemn. He came to forgive. And if this convicts the conscience, then praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Don't try to figure out who this is for. If you're listening to this, would it be fair to say that it's for you? Don't try to figure out anything else. Just ask the Lord this question. Am I focused on you? Do I understand the sinful aspects of me? and what you've done to pay the price for my sin. Ask yourself those questions and be honest with the answers that you provide, because you're not answering me, you're answering the Lord. If we go to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, 33 through 40, uh, 34, Romans 8, 33 through 34. The Bible says here, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Intercession is a word that means to confer with. By extension, it means to entreat. So we understand that Christ loves sinners. Christ came to the world to make an intercession between the judgment of God and the vulnerability of sinners by taking the sin off of the sinner, paying for sin so that he could himself forgive the sinner. And so we have three aspects of this. There's a great spiritual blindness, which is uh, the result of me focusing all of my attention on others. And there's a great spiritual sight, which is available when I result, or which is available as a result of focusing on myself. And then third, most final, most important point, there is spiritual forgiveness, which is available for the focusing or by the focusing on Christ, on Jesus Christ, our Lord. From the very first moment, this woman entered the picture. Now, I want you to notice this now. From the very first moment that this woman entered the picture, Christ began to help her. 
And at the same time, he took the focus off of her and he put it on himself. And then he suggested that everybody else there put the focus on themselves. And instead of this resulting in the murder of a woman, it instead resulted in her salvation as her accusers, oldest to youngest, walk out one by one by one. Folks, this is such a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ does. By the way, it's also a very effective model for the ministry. As a pastor, is this not your job, preacher, to put all the focus on Christ, to hold up mirrors to society, not to give them a religion, not to give them laws and ordinances, not to give them a system Or I had one guy that I used to know who was just so caught up in the idea of job descriptions. Everybody has to have job descriptions. That's not what being a pastor is about. That's not what being a minister is about. Being a pastor and being a minister is about loving people. Loving people. This world is a brutal place. And it's becoming more chaotic. And and leaning towards more accepted versions of anarchy every day. And there are people looking for people who just know how to love someone. To take the focus off of them and their failures and their sin and put it on Christ. And as it says in the Bible, let the glorious light of the marvelous gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ shine through so that we may accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. That we may have a relationship with him. And that when this is all done, We can go to heaven, we can hear from his own lips. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is that not the cost of ministry? To take the focus of failure away and to put the focus on Christ. I'm not saying justify sin. I'm not saying accept degradant behavior. I'm not saying any of those things. I am saying that sometimes we get so wrapped up in the the way things are supposed to be. We get so wrapped up and so invested in things looking a specific way and and appearing and, and behaving and acting and smelling in a certain particular manner. In reality, this world is confused. And what they don't need is someone thrusting them into the middle of the proverbial circle and trying to use them as a means to exploit some agenda. And so you're going to have people that come into your church that look different than you. And you're going to have your path cross with people who act and think differently than you do, sometimes drastically differently. Can you love them? Can you love them? Can you stoop down and with your finger right on the ground, and you're not really writing anything. You're just taking the focus off of them, and you're carrying the burden to give them space for repentance, to give them just a little bit of space for repentance. Can you do that? Can you remember when someone did it for you, when someone took the burden that allowed you to give the rest of the burden to Christ. 
to sprawl it all out before him and ask him for his glorious and everlasting forgiveness. Can you do that? The convicted conscience, the spiritual blindness, which is the result of focusing on others, the spiritual sight available, which is a result of focusing on self, and the spiritual forgiveness, which is available by focusing on Christ. That's my thought for the day. Folks, I love you. Thank you so much for being a part of this. This was podcast number 50, and I have enjoyed each and every single one of them. I look forward to doing another 50 more and another 100 after that, and Lord willing, we'll just keep going. If you have any questions, please get a hold of me, wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, Front baptistchurch.com or call me at the number listed on the drop down link father thank you so much for everything you've done for giving us the bible for giving us just complete confidence in your words i pray that you'd help us father to walk worthy of the gifts you've given and help us to love others as you have so dearly and truly loved us in jesus name amen folks i do love you thank you very much i'll see you next time bye-bye